Our scripture this morning is found in Esther. Esther chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. How many of y'all think Esther was singing the song we just sang in the chapter we're about to read? Oh God, oh God, I need you. I need you. I need you now because she's about to do something that could get her killed. She's about to do something that if her husband doesn't like it, he will have her put to death. In our scripture this morning, we we see that, and obviously we'll see more of it again next week. Or is next week when I need to preach Thanksgiving? It is, isn't it? I forgot one year, beloved. I I, I know that sounds really bad. I forgot that that I needed to preach Thanksgiving that particular Sunday. And and I had written my sermon. I forget what what we were in that that day, and I'd written my sermon. It didn't have nothing to do with Thanksgiving. (laughs) Uh, but but uh, uh, we we tried to make it fit. But but I'll try not to forget if if next Sunday is when I need to preach Thanksgiving. That, well, I don't know. It's a banquet. That how much more Thanksgiving can you get than a banquet? So uh, I don't know. We'll we'll figure out what we're going to do next week. What we see in our in our scripture this morning is is two men. Even though Mordecai is only mentioned once. The last part of the chapter really deals with, with Haman. And, and it deals with, in, with, with his attitude, his, his entitled attitude. And it's contrasted very sharply. And we're going to see Haman admit, I mean, he, he actually admitted it, that there was no satisfaction in all of the things that he had. You know why? Because God didn't design us to let things satisfy us. God designed us so that he would satisfy us. Listen, beloved, let's go back to the garden. Have you ever noticed that almost everything in the Bible goes back to the garden? It does. Everything goes back to the garden. Listen, if Adam and Eve were not literal human beings, you can throw this book away. Because everything after uh, Genesis chapter 1 is false. If, if Adam and Eve were not literal human beings. But when God created them, He built them a nice house over on the edge of the garden, didn't He? You know, three and a half, or three bedroom, two and a half bath, swimming pool out back, He gave them the finest clothes. No. He didn't do any of that. In fact, until the enemy got involved in it, they were perfectly content to walk around without any clothes on. They were perfectly content with what God was providing for them. They never looked and said, you know what? I'd rather have this. Or there's not enough apples on that tree, or there's not enough lemons on that tree. I got to have me some more. 
It wasn't until the enemy came into the picture that they suddenly looked at God's creation and said, this will not satisfy. And we have been living as the result of that decision ever since. You see, beloved, God calls us to trust Him and trust in Him alone for our satisfaction. Esther chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. In honor of the reading of God's Word, let's stand. Now it came about on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's rooms, and the king was sitting on his royal throne in the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. When the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court, she obtained favor in his sight. And the king extended to Esther the golden scepter which was in his hand. So Esther came near and touched the top of the scepter. Then the king said to her, What is troubling you, Queen Esther? And what is your request? Even to half the kingdom it shall be given to you. Esther said, If it pleases the king, May the king and Haman come this day to the banquet that I have prepared for him. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly that we may do as Esther desires. So the king and Haman came to the banquet which Esther had prepared. As they drank their wine at the banquet, the king said to Esther, What is your petition? For it shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to half of the kingdom it shall be done. So Esther replied, My petition and my request is, If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and do what I request, may the king and Haman come to the banquet which I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king says. Then Haman went out that day glad and pleased of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he did not stand up or tremble before him, Haman was filled with anger against Mordecai. Haman controlled himself, however, went to his house, and sent for his friends and his wife Zeresh. Then Haman recounted to them the glory of his riches and the number of his sons, and every instance where the king had magnified him and how he had promoted him above the princes and servants of the king. Haman also said, Even Esther the queen let no one but me come with the king to the banquet which she had prepared. And tomorrow also I am invited by her with the king. Yet all of this does not satisfy me. Every time... I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then Zeresh his wife and all his friends said to him, Have a gallows fifty cubits high made, and in the morning ask the king to have Mordecai hanged on it. Then go joyfully with the king to the banquet. And the advice pleased Haman. So he had the gallows made. Let us pray. Father God, we love you so much, and we thank you for this reading of your perfect and infallible word in our midst this morning. God, as you illumine the heart and mind of the one who wrote these words, we pray, O oh God, that you would illumine our hearts and minds to respond and to live out your infallible word in our lives. Father God, we love you so much, and we offer to you our love, 
our lives and this prayer. In and through the name of Jesus, our risen Lord and Master. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <coughs> I've told you in the past <clears throat> that the Bible is a very binary book. It is. In our text this morning, we see those two choices, that binary choice. We have a group of people. We have, we have Mordecai and we have Esther that are satisfied with the provision of God. They are satisfied. And we got Haman that's got all the trappings, all the riches the world can offer. And he says by his own mouth, yet all of this does not satisfy me. He thinks that it will. I mean, back in verse 11, you know, I don't know. I read this the way that I'd read anything else. Isn't that the way we ought to read the Bible? The way we read anything else? He called for his wife, Zeresh. It does say that he sent for, okay? That he, he sent and brought her to him. But then, do you notice in, in verse 11, he doesn't talk about her. She's not one of the things that he's thankful for. Did, did you see that? It says, Haman recounted to them the glory of his riches. Don't, don't you enjoy being around somebody that, that, that's got money and, and they won't make sure you know it? You know, <laughs> I, I've been in places where a man was wearing a, a suit that cost more than the car I was driving at the time. Okay? Anyway, he recounts the glory of his riches. Yet this does not satisfy me. He recounts to them the number of his sons. What, what, what do you notice right there? He didn't talk about how happy his sons make him. All he cares about is I got more than you do. That means I'm more blessed than you are. He recounts to them the number of his sons. Yet all of this does not satisfy me. He recounts to them every instance. You know, back when I was a, a young man in the dark ages, if you walked into somebody's house for supper and they had a slide projector set up in the living room, can I get a witness? <laughs> oh, 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 you know, my bursitis has got me. I, we'll have to come back. You know, I, 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 you didn't want to watch 15 trays of slides on their vacation. Because, you know, it's kind of like that commercial that's on right now. Do we really need 47 pictures of this meal? And the one woman goes, yes. And the guy says, no, we don't. We don't need 47 pictures of this meal. Haman starts talking about every instance where the king 
had magnified him. He says, you know, you remember that time when, when, when he made me the prime minister? Oh, you know, he, he looked out and he saw and I was just the best one that there was. And then he, he made me do, he, you know, he, he got me to do this and this and that. And, and, and the people are going, make it stop. Make it stop. Yet all of this does not satisfy me. And then he starts talking about how the king had promoted him above the princes and the servants of the, of the king. He is the second ranking man in the kingdom. Yet all of this does not satisfy me. Even Esther the queen let nobody but me. That's how special I am. Out of all the people in the kingdom, Esther called my name specifically. I think she's kind of sweet on me. But don't tell the king. And yet, all of that does not satisfy. Even knowing that he's going to get to go to supper with the king and queen tomorrow, yet all of this does not satisfy me. Here's the difference. We just sang it. For three days, Esther has been fasting. And we noticed last week that it never says that she prayed, but we have to assume that she did. And don't you imagine that as she's fasting and praying, she's going through the history of Israel. God, You chose Abraham. You chose me. You delivered Abraham. Deliver me. You chose Jacob. And you delivered him from the hand of Esau. Deliver me from the hand of Xerxes. God, when my people came out of slavery, you opened, you performed a miracle, and you took them across the Red Sea. Open up the floodgates of heaven for me and bring your, your favor into my life. Don't you imagine that she was singing that same song that she was simply rehearsing everything that Scripture says God has done. And Miss Debbie just told us that God never changes. Amen. If God did it for Abraham, He'll do it for you. If God did it for David, He'll do it for you. If God did it for Peter, He'll do it for you. If God did it for Paul, He'll do it for you. If God did it for me, He'll do it for you. And so Esther, over the last three days, has been building herself up to lean hard on the faithfulness of God. And don't you... I know most of y'all have never heard the song, but don't you think she was probably singing Wayne Watson's song in her head? I'm kidding. But the chorus of that song is for such a time as this. For such a time as this. 
Don't you imagine that Mordecai's words kept ringing in her ears? You have been brought to this place for such a time as this. You, you, you alone, you are in the unique place. God has sovereignly directed and moved all of human history to put you in this place at this time for this purpose. And Esther is relying on God's faithfulness. See, this story becomes even more important when we understand that it's not just something that took past or took place in the ancient past. It's our story as well, beloved. It's our story as well. God has brought each one of us to this place for such a time as this. He has brought Jesus into our life to reign over our lives. If we are a Christian, our spirit has been made alive in Jesus Christ. Mordecai is the figure of the Holy Spirit working in our lives to preserve the fruit of the Spirit. But slyly at work in our minds, there's old Haman. There's old Haman. Trying to get us to rely on the works of the flesh. Trying to get us to rely on the number of children that we got and to rely on the glory of our riches and to rely on all of the honors that have been poured on us throughout our lives. You know what the Bible calls that? The Bible calls that the flesh. The flesh. And if you don't understand that there's a war raging within your life right now, you need, to, you need to understand there is a war raging in your life right now. A war between the spirit and the flesh. The flesh wants you to do things your way. The flesh wants you to, to, to not pay much attention to God. And see, that's the whole aim of the enemy. Is to get you to live your life in the flesh. Because the enemy knows that if you will live your life in the flesh, listen to me, your total ministry is useless. If you're doing everything that you do, You know, I, I, I'm old enough to remember that, that gentlemen would not use certain words in the presence of a lady. Now we hear them on TV commercials. But I know that if a, a man, because he's not a gentleman at that point, used one of those words in the presence of a lady, somebody in the group's going to say, Do you kiss your mama with those lips? You see what happened is in using that one word, he immediately went from being a gentleman to just a man. Everything about him is now suspect. 
Because he just showed us that he can't control his tongue. He can't control his tongue. And I think there might be something in James that says that's really, really, really important for us to be able to control our tongue. See, if we behave one way when we're around our religious friends, and we behave another way when we're down at the honky-tonk, hello, you ought not be at the honky-tonk unless you're going in there to lead a Bible study or witness to people. That'll clear the room. I'll tell you, it'll clear the room in a New York minute. You walk in there and say, turn in your Bibles. They're going to be gone. Mark Roth and I walked up to a house in Belize several years ago. We were out doing prayer walking. Mark and I knew what we were smelling as we were walking up to the house. Because we'd smelled it a lot before in our own lives. And so we walked up to the door, which was just a, a, a sheet piece of fabric across the door. There's about seven or eight men inside that room. And, and I said, uh, we're a mission team and we're just out doing a little bit of prayer walking and we wondered if we could pray with you and talk to you about Jesus. All but one of them just about tackled us getting out of that door. Okay? And they were gone. And the one poor guy, I guess it was his house, that had to stay behind and listen to us. The fl- listen, the flesh wants you to do things your way. Your way. The flesh wants you to look at God and say, God, I wish you would just be reasonable and do things my way. God wants us to understand that that will never satisfy because that's not the way we were designed. Verses 1 through 8. You know, after three days of praying and fasting, Esther gets up and she puts on her best clothes. Now, let me make a connection for you here. We all love to say, I am engaging in lifestyle evangelism. I don't drink, smoke, dance with you, or go with folks that do. I, 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 I watch my tongue most of the time. I don't talk mean about people in their presence. I make sure that that I do all of the things that need to be done. But listen, I know that there are 15 lost people at my job that I have never spoken a word uh, about Jesus to. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do Do you see the connection here? Esther has been praying and fasting for three days about what she needed to do. Now it's time to act. Hello? When you've been praying for that co-worker, when you've been praying for that family member to come to know Jesus, but you've never spoken a word of testimony to them, now it's time to act. It's time to open your mouth and let them know that you love them and God loves them even more. He loves them so much, He wants to to bring them into His family. Now, 
you got to know. You ever held a, a small animal that's clearly scared? Okay? And feel its little heart just going, and you're thinking, this animal's heart's going to explode because it's beating so fast. Well, that's what's going on in Esther's life right now. Every step she knows that she's taken in the will of God. She's already made up her mind. We saw last week, she said, if I perish, I perish. If I die, I die. And you know, it's one thing to say that and to be committed to it. I saw a sign one time that, that basically said, whatever it was on, it was on a fence that said, do not touch. This will kill you and it will hurt the whole time you're dying. Okay? We're going to talk about what... what Haman is building. Let me tell you something, beloved. It's going to hurt the whole time. Mordecai's dying. But God has a way of turning things around. It's going to hurt the whole time Haman is dying. Because we're going to see that Haman built his own death device. Anyway, you got to know that as Esther goes near the king's door, she's nervous. And she's standing out there in her, in her royal clothing. And she positions herself. Now it's time. She positions herself where when the king looks up from the throne, there she is. And he saw her. And she obtained favor in his sight. She obtained favor in his sight. Why? Because that's what God wanted. God had designed this encounter so that she would find favor in his sight. Now, Xerxes knows that he can do one of two things right now. He can either hold his scepter out and she lives, or he hollers for one of his guards and she dies. And so he extended to Esther the golden scepter, which was in his hand. Let me tell you something, beloved. If you're here this morning, I'm not drawing a parallel between Xerxes and God. But if you're here this morning and you have never acknowledged the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, Almighty God is extending His scepter to you this morning. Almighty God is extending His scepter to you this morning, inviting you to come and touch the top of the scepter. And then the king asked her, Esther, what's up? What's troubling you? How did he know something was troubling her? Well, I mean, we understand he's only spent one night with her, so he doesn't know her very well. But you know what? I've been with this precious woman for 41 years, and she doesn't have to say too many words for me to know there's something wrong. Okay? I can tell when something is disturbing her. I can tell when something's bothering her. And it's usually me. But that's another sermon. Okay? But I can tell. And he knows. He knows, number one, she wouldn't be where she was unless she had a problem that she needed him to solve. Okay? 
And so he asked her, what's troubling? Now, you would have thought that when he asked her that, she would have said, Zerk's baby, I, I, I just could have shared my heart with you. This Haman feller, he's evil. He has got you to sign this decree of extermination that will put to death all my people. Oh, did I not mention to you that I'm Jewish? You would have thought that's what she would have said. But instead she said, you know what? Here's what I'd like. I'd like for you and Haman to come to a supper that I've I've prepared just for y'all. Would you do that for me? Would you come to the supper? Now, listen, why why is she delaying? Because the gallows hadn't been built yet. You understand what I'm saying? There are still things moving in the background, and Haman has not built the gallows that he's going to be put to death on yet. They need another 24 hours for Haman's pride to build that thing. And so they go in, and they have a a good meal, and she's trying, listen, she's trying to soften Xerxes up. Because, listen to me, Haman has as much sway over the king at this point as she does. Xerxes will do just about anything Haman asks him to do. And so Esther has got to get to the same place because she understands that if decisions are based on emotions only, they will continuously shift back and forth. And that's precisely the story of too many Christians. And God is not content with that. Listen, blood, but we need to base our opinions on what the Word of God uh, has to say. All right, I understand. Verses 9 through 14. So Haman is like having the best day of his life, isn't he? Okay. I mean, Haman's in his office, taking care of some paperwork, answering some email. And all of a sudden, somebody comes and says, Haman, come with me. What do you mean, come with you? Who do you think you are? Well, the king has sent for you. He wants you to have supper with him and the queen tonight. And Haman goes, that's right. That's right. That's who you're talking to. The queen asked for me by name, wants me to come have supper with him or with her. And so it goes, and they're just having a good old time, and and Haman is just drinking it all in. And when the meal is over, he just kind of bopping out of there. Oh, I am all that in a bag of chips. Burn that Mordecai. He let one person ruin his day. I said he let one person ruin his day. He gave complete control of his emotions and his feelings 
to this one man. Miserable Haman. Honored by the king and the queen, yet the disapproval of one man makes him feel worthless. Hello? I said hello? Beloved, we are loved by the king of the universe. How dare we let one person ruin our day? Jesus loves us. And we can't let one person make us feel worthless. We ain't got time to cover it, but I encourage you to read Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 when you get home. Because we are accepted in the beloved. We are accepted before God because of who we are in Jesus. See, verse 11 tells us, and and verse 12 and verse 13, tells us what Haman's problem was. His spirit, his soul was disturbed because he didn't have God. Y'all understand that tomorrow uh, Hindus, Buddhists, and Jains will celebrate Diwali, the festival of lights. And they're going to pray to literally thousands of little G-gods. And you know what? They're going to get up on Tuesday just as empty as they are this morning. Because the God that they're praying for is either a painting or a statue. It can't do anything in their life. Haman is in the situation that he's in because he's been trying to satisfy everything with the gods of Persia. Do a little bit of research on Zoroastrianism when you get home. And that will help you understand why his heart was, was empty. See, even if, if Haman had been able to solve the Mordecai problem, it still would not have satisfied him. And it's the same in our lives too, beloved. So, after hearing all of this, and don't you know, don't you know Mrs. Haman is sick to death of hearing about this? She, she's just like over it. And, and so she says, Haman, why don't you just have a gallows built, put the man to death and get it over with. See, that's what Haman wanted to do all along. He just needed it to be somebody else's idea. Hello? <laughs> he just needed it to be somebody else's idea. So that He didn't look too proud. Now, the gallows mentioned here, number one, you're wondering, how in the world would they build a gallows like you have in your mind in less than 24 hours? We're not talking about a platform with a trap door and a rope on it. We're talking about, it says here, uh, how many cubits? 50 cubits. A pole that is sharpened on the top. And what they would do is they would pull the victim over the top of that pole and impale them right where you think you'd get impaled. And they'd keep pulling you down until that pole came out your neck. 
And amazingly, that doesn't kill you right off the bat. You're going to writhe in anguish and in agony for several hours before you die. We should never underestimate the power, the destructive and the distorting power of hatred. Once again, beloved, that's why there is no peace in Jerusalem this morning. The destructive power of hatred on both sides of that equation. That same destructive hatred that made Haman want to see Mordecai hang to his death is the same irrational, violent hatred that made man want to hang Jesus on a cross. Chuck Swindoll said this, and we'll close. He drew four principles for dealing with difficult situations from this chapter. By the way, since we've already done it, Chuck Swindoll's a former Marine as well, so it, it's got to be right if Chuck Swindoll said it right. Amen. No, I'm kidding. First, when preparing for an unprecedented event, wait on the Lord before getting involved. Hello? How many of us rush in where angels fear the tread without praying? Second, when dealing with an unpredictable person, count on the Lord to open doors and hearts. Third, when working through an unpleasant situation, trust the Lord for enduring patience. And fourth, when standing against an unprincipled enemy, ask the Lord for invincible courage. See, have we all recognized that given the opportunity we would have willingly put Jesus Christ on the cross. Willingly. We would have been in that crowd shouting crucify. And our most hopeful moment comes when we recognize it is there and we stop defending it and begin to treat it as God would direct. Have you learned to recognize Haman within your own heart? Even when he comes smiling and bowing and dripping with flattering words for you. What does Haman say to you when you have been slighted and self-pity comes and you want to go aside and lick your wounds and feel sorry for yourself? When your patience wears thin and your temper inevitably explodes and you say something that you wish you hadn't, that's Haman. That's the flesh. And that's the thing that put Jesus Christ on the cross. And it would do it again if it had the chance. That's our enemy. Oh, beloved, God in grace drives us to the place where we learn what we're like. When we begin to see it in realistic, honest terms, recognizing it for what it is, then He has a proposal and a plan for taking care of it. Our plan will never work. It will not satisfy his plan will, it will satisfy. Will we adopt His plan this morning and recognize that He has brought us to this place at this time for such a time as this?